Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey my friends, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends, let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Have you ever made a mistake and thought to yourself, why in the world did I just do that? Like, what is wrong with me? Have you ever gotten something so wrong that it has caused you to really, really think hard about the direction of life that you are taking? If you are like me, then you guess what? You are human and that is part of living this life. It's part of the journey, right? My guest today is Stephen Miller, and he has written a brilliant book called The Art of Getting It Wrong, Finding Good in the Misadventures of Life. And long before Stephen's YouTube channel, The Miller Fam, became a viral sensation with nearly a million subscribers, Stephen Miller endured countless failed endeavors. He made too many rash decisions and experienced deep discouragement at life not going as planned. How many of you can relate to that sentence that I just read out? Those experiences taught him a powerful lesson though, that life will ultimately be okay when even when even when it seems in the moment like it won't. With a characteristic of authenticity, love and humor, Stephen shows in his YouTube videos and Uh, also his new book, The Art of Getting It Wrong, how some hard truths and never before told stories of misadventures that are definitely going to challenge you to do this. Look for the laugh in every situation. Discover the power of levity, grace, and the God who created it all. See how God is at work in you even when you mess up. See how God is at work in the world even when the outlook appears grim Believe in yourself and grow in the sense of self-worth because so many times when we make a mistake, we blame ourselves and we basically say it's all our fault and there's nothing we can do about it 
there's a lot of shame that is associated with stuffing up and it stops us from moving forward. But ultimately, stuffing up is going to happen one way or another and you're just going to have to learn how to find the laugh and look for the joy in that moment, see how this is going to be used for your benefit and not your detriment ultimately and that it will be okay. And that is a message that definitely hits home uh, for me during this conversation with Stephen. I love speaking with him. He's got such a huge uh, infectious personality. He kind of reminds me of Paul Rudd, to be honest. He kind of looks like Paul Rudd too. Um, but yeah, like I think this is really just a, an all, all around down to earth, fun, loving conversation that really gets to the heart of a lot of things that I feel like many of us are struggling with uh, in life today. So if you do get something from it, and I hope that you do, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Also, don't forget to leave a rating and review over and have a podcast. goes a long way once again in helping to support this show and going further and, and reaching a lot more people, which I would be extremely grateful for. Uh, all right, my friends, that is enough from me. Don't forget my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, is available for pre-order now. All the links for everything will be in the show notes below. So it's very, very easy to go and find the book release. It's just around the corner. All right, my friends, it is time to journey with me into the story box as we learn about the art of getting it wrong. <laughs> and we also listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other and the awesome Stephen Miller. Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. I'm so excited to get to be. I'm sort of like virtually in Australia right now, which is amazing. You're in my uh, <laughs> virtual uh, second second bedroom. We'll call it my office. <laughs> love it. I love it, man. But uh, I'm so grateful for your your time, man, and for being here. The very first question that I do have for you is a question that I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is, what does success look like for you? You know, that's changed so much over the years for me. I think um, right out of high school and and honestly, through my mid-30s, uh, I, I had a lot to prove. Like, I just really did. I was pretty severely bullied growing up. I was really overweight, really short. Uh, you know, and honestly, kind of a dork, to be honest. Uh, and so, you know, I can remember there was a real moment that shifted in my thinking where I, I said to myself, I'm never going to feel this way again. I'm going to show them. And like, like, it was like a movie moment, like, I'll show them I'm going to be so successful. And uh, I'm going to be a actor and a musician and a writer and all this stuff. And like I, I set my attention and my effort to that for the better part of almost two decades. And um, man, like I kind of had like a crash and burn moment. I was really, really burned out. Um, and this is, you know, over a couple of years where I was experiencing that. And it kind of came down to understanding and recognizing that I was defining success all wrong. Like I thought somehow if I could win the Grammy award or, you know, sell this many albums or this many, whatever, I would be all of a sudden like worthy of love or worthy of acceptance or whatever. Like I would finally show them, you know, mm -hmm. and um, man, what a crock, you know, like you get to that point and you're in your mid thirties and you're like, 
nothing panned out the way that I thought it would, but wow, I've got seven incredible children, you know, uh, both through birth biologically and through adoption. I've got a gorgeous, incredible wife. Um, and we kind of, that's all sort of happened like right as we were starting doing this whole online YouTube kind of thing. And, uh, and like, I guess just success totally got reoriented for me because all this stuff that I had done for so long just kind of felt meaningless to me for a while. Honestly, I had a friend die. Um, he was murdered um, in Afghanistan, um, just walking down the street. And I'm like, man, what the heck? Like, he's one of the best dudes I know, you know? And uh, another friend of mine uh, killed himself and he was at like the height of his, you know, everything super successful guy and then a mentor that i had who was more like a dad and i talk about him in the book um his name is jim and he died of cancer you know and there's just all this stuff sort of happening and swirling around all the time and i'm going dude like everything i'm doing is meaningless everything i'm doing is worthless like what happens at the end of this thing and um you know so there was a little bit of a break and and the beautiful thing about that is that there's also that moment to start fresh and reconnect with reality what's actually true versus the lies that you've been believing for so long uh which for me were many you know and uh and so to get to reconnect with who i am the core of my being but also get to reconnect with my family and now it's kind of like man i i would be happy uh, if success for me just looked like I've got seven kids, my oldest just moved out on her own, which is insane. Like she turned 18 and was like, I'm ready for an adventure and moved down to Florida, you know, near Miami. And, uh, and she's just hanging out and like killing it. Like she's awesome, you know? And so that's a success for me. Like if I can do that with my seven kids, if I can have a stronger marriage, uh, this coming year than I've had in all of the 19 other years that we've been married, uh, that's a huge win. That's a success. If I can be healthier as a person, both physically, mentally, spiritually, which I am, I, you know, I talk about that in the book as well. Like I've, I've struggled with obesity my whole life, you know, and I've just looked for these quick shortcut fixes. Um, but you know, I lost 70 pounds last year, like or, over the past year, and I'm going to keep it off, you know? So that like success looks like what is, what is a healthy life look like for me? And yeah, I'm still going to, you know, try to be the hardest worker in the room and make sure I can provide a great life for my family and all that. But are my kids healthy? Is my wife healthy? Is our marriage healthy? Am I healthy? Um, is my relationship with God healthy? Is it stronger? You know, for a long time, I kind of looked at like God became useful to me, if that makes sense, rather than beautiful to me. And that's a that's a really dangerous place to be. You know, I was, I was doing, I was working for a church, you know? So, um, when you do that long enough, like it, it, when God becomes your vocation rather than your like passion, you know, that was not a healthy place to be. And so now like, am, is my relationship with God healthier than ever? And I would say it is, you know? So I think like the success defined for me looks a lot different than a metric or a number. Um, it's not even so much a feeling it's like, I guess it's, it's hard to define. It's like, it is, is everything in my life healthy? You know, is it growing? Is it healthy? Is it happy? Is it, is my home a place of peace? 
you know, that's, that's success for me. And obviously there are variables that can affect that. Like if I'm not bringing home the bacon, you know, there might not be as much peace, you know? So there's all that stuff. I'm not trying to like minimize like the normal things that, you know, when you're, when you're getting started, like success looks so different, you know, like I need to hit these things, but once you've kind of hit those things and in a lot of ways, I've had a lot of wins in my life, you know, um, and that have helped me to sort of reorient my perspective. Um, but at what cost, you know, you kind of, at this point, you get to kind of look back and go, mm, like there was a, a pretty hefty toll um, for a lot of that stuff. And so then you're sort of playing you know, the art of getting it wrong. Like, how do I not let that define me, but refine me for this next season of my life, you know? I think you have the world's version of success and they tell you, as you're growing up, this is what you need to do in order to be quote worse something in society. So we chase it yeah. for a long period of time. And for a short period of time, you may feel a little bit satisfied, but not really fulfilled because there's, I believe, ultimately a difference there. But then when you do achieve that thing that you have been striving and, and hustling for for such a long period of time, I, you get there and he's like, well, now what? Now I feel, do I can do I do the same thing again for the next thing, the next goal that I have? And it's like this perpetual wheel, this cycle that a lot of people go on that just gets them to the point where they feel utterly miserable. And when circumstances and challenges sort of come into their life and a lot of failures start to happen, they get stuck a lot of the time. They, they crumble under all that pressure and they think, well, this can't be really success, can it? Because I need, I need to be up here, not down here. Why am I down here? But ultimately what I've figured out, I think you can, I think you've probably figured this out as well, is that success is down here. It's like, yeah. it's in those failures that we learn the most about ourselves. It's in those challenges that yeah. life becomes more meaningful. You learn so much about yourself, about other people, the world around you, who God is, all these things, more than what you do up here, which is what the world tells you, you're going to learn a lot, <laughs> right? But yeah. it's, not, it's so not true. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned, I feel like I've learned so much more from my failures than from my successes, you know? And, and I, I do feel like my goal with every mistake and every mess up is that I come out with it, uh, getting more out of it than I lost from it you know? Um, but that comes with owning it and like taking responsibility. And, you know, some of those things are not easy to do, especially when you're young and first starting out, like you feel like you've got so much to prove. And I, I just, at this point in my life, like the, I feel like the only thing I've proved is that like God is really gracious to me, you know, which is a pretty great thing to have proof when you really look back on it, you know, it's like, well, I haven't really proved that I'm that great, you know, but I proved that in spite of the fact that I'm a big mess up. And, you know, if you read the book, like you're gonna be like, dude, how is this guy alive? Like, how is he still alive? Cause it's just like one story after another, how has his wife not killed him? How, you know, <laughs> like I, I have messed up in more ways than I even know how to count, you know? But with every failure, it's like, this could be my biggest blessing, my biggest teacher, my biggest gift in, in all reality. Um, and I think that there is something to be said about that. Like, so, you know, I think success for me now too, looks like not being afraid 
to try something new because uh, I think, you know, look, I wrote the book really for both my kids and my peers, you know, like when I look at my kids and, and there's so much, and not even just them, but like their friends and sort of their generation, there's so much anxiety and fear and worry over messing up and not getting it right, you know, that it sort of paralyzes them from um, being able to step out and be courageous and do something great, you know, that would bring them a lot of joy, you know? And, and, and for me, you know, I'm in a group of people who are on the other end of that, who maybe did try some things and failed miserably or, or did try some things and it didn't really, they're looking at their life going like, this is it, like this is all there is to it, you know? And, and so then they feel like they're a failure because what they had hoped for all those years is not really panned out. And so, you know, the book really is to try to like encourage a whole variety of people that like, look, it's okay to fail. Like, just go for it. Your failure's not final, you know? Your, your failures aren't who you are. That's not your identity. You, you, they can't define you, but they can refine you and set you up for that next, step like you're always becoming something who are you becoming and your failures are shaping who you get to become you know if you'll let them your perspective is a lot more uh, important than your circumstances you know if you'll let your failures reorient reorient your perspective you could have a freaking great life you know I love how you said your failures don't define you they refine you and that's mm. That's an important message that needs to be shared far and wide to, especially mm. for young people. Cause I mean, I'm a lot younger than what you are. And I, I wish that I had all this information when I was growing up, cause maybe it might've helped a lot. Maybe it might've stopped me from going down and doing some stupid things that I decided and I chose to do. I mean, I mean, you have the failures that ultimately, I guess you make, you, you, you choose to make them. And then you have those, I guess, those things that come about in your life that you can still make a choice to go either this way or that way. Um, but yeah, I just, I think this is a, a really, really needful message. And I can relate to what you were talking about before, like how is this guy still alive sort of thing? That's very similar to me. Yeah. And yeah. just when you think like, when I was writing my very first book, sorry to take it away from yours for a second, but when I was writing, when I was writing mine, I opened the book, the introduction. I'm like, just when you think a story is over, surprise, it's not. Like it keeps on yeah. going and it might start, it might make you start questioning how in the world is Jay still standing? How is he still here? So I completely understand and relate. And a lot of that came down to my own selfish choices and my own stupid decisions that led to failures, but they, they ultimately set me up for my successes later on. That's amazing, man. Yeah. I think that you, you know, the, the ability to step back and humble yourself in the midst of something, you know, yeah. Um, and, and sort of analyze the situation as much from an objective viewpoint as you can and just say, okay, like, where did I go wrong here? What can I learn from this? You know, and, and how do I, how do I grow? You know, that's something that 
I, I mean, really the, the hope for me is that like people will read this and they won't necessarily have to make the same mistakes that I made, you know, cause there's a lot of stuff that you look back like the, the first chapter, um, not the first chapter, one of the early chapters is called, um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may jack me up forever, you know? <laughs> and, and like that stuff sticks with you, man. You know, like there's stuff I said, in my early twenties, that still comes back to haunt me sometimes. There's stuff that was said to me when I was, you know, in middle school that still comes back to haunt me to this day, you know? And so when you start to recognize like the value of every moment and the weight of every word, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to mess up again, but it does. I think, I think maybe it, it humbles you enough to kind of start looking at your own life and taking, um, some stock in, in those moments to slow down a little bit more and, and, uh, and maybe not make the same mistake again, or maybe not try to like stick your head in the sand or dig your feet in, uh, your heels in so that you don't have to own it or it can't be your fault or whatever. Like, I, I, I mean, I've started to kind of go to, to like, it's probably my fault, you know, <laughs> like in a situation, just begin there, you know, rather than trying to blame shift or point fingers. If I can just start with me, which is really the only thing I can control, you know, I think in the end, we all, we all get a lot more out of that, that way, rather than trying to figure out who did this to me, you know, like finding the root cause, you know, maybe you're not the ultimate root cause, but you can probably find some ways that you could have done things differently you know, and then own that and then address it as best as you can, you know, be a man of peace, be a, be a person of peace, be a person uh, who apologizes easily and forgives easily, you know, who, who watches his words and watches his, you know, actions a little more carefully, you know? When you do stuff up, it does hurt for a period of time. Yeah. And I've always been curious, maybe you might be able to help unpack this a little bit more for everyone listening, but why do you think that God created failure ultimately? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I love the big question, man. I love it. I, you know, this is, a, this is a shot in the dark, but you know, he is completely unique, right? God is completely unique. Um, and there's something beautiful about grace and there's something beautiful about mercy yeah. that without failure, we wouldn't be able to really savor, you know what I mean? Without the mistakes and the mess ups and the, you know, all that, um, it wouldn't be as good. Like if the bad news isn't really bad, is the good news really good, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, is this is like a totally flawed uh, analogy as every analogy will be in the end, but is Harry Potter really great or Dumbledore really great? If Voldemort is not really bad, you know what I mean? Um, and you know, that's, that's the beauty of humanity that I think we all get is that like, we're, we're all the ones who get it wrong. You know, like I may feel like a good guy, but like, I know when I lay down at night that man, like if only people knew, you know, fill in the blank. If only they knew the real me. If they, if only they knew all the ways that I've messed up, you know, that not even, you know, I've never told anybody or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, but the, but the fact that God does know 
you know, and still loves me and still chooses me and still forgives me and still gives me an infinite hope and an infinite life and an infinite, like that's, there's something really beautiful about that. Um, and, and I think that's ultimately what the soul longs for, you know, is unconditional acceptance and, and, and genuine love, you know, and genuine like, like God doesn't just like sweep it under the rug and then sort of tolerate you for all of eternity. Like he genuinely likes you. And so the fact that I know deep down how bad I really am, and I know deep down how good God really is, uh, makes eternity sweeter. You know what I mean? It heightens my joy. It heightens my delight. Now, certainly the, you know, well, if there's no failure in the world, then there's no suffering in the world. There's no hunger in the world, no war in the world, no whatever. You know, there's all those things that we can get down that rabbit hole of really, really beyond my ability to explain. But I think at the core, like God made us to delight in him because he knows that that's the greatest joy. It's an infallible joy. You know, there's no tainting it. There's no diluting it. There's nothing like you can't, it's not like, uh, there's no law of diminishing return. Like the more I love God, like he doesn't, there doesn't become less of him to love. There doesn't become, there's no flaw. You know, there's never a moment where he looks at me with a, you know, you know, there's no, never a moment he despises me or like I'm, I'm unconditionally accepted and loved, which God made us to long for that. And I don't know that it would be without the failure, without the getting it wrong. I just don't know if that would be as amazing to us. And therefore, without, without amazement and awe, do we really have joy, like lasting joy? I'm an awe. I go after the awe, man. I go after the wonder. You know, I go after the amazement. That's why I go to the Grand Canyon. That's why I go to, you know, I'm like begging my wife to go to Glacier National Park and Yellowstone and Iceland and New Zealand and Australia. And like, I, I'm a travel fanatic because I'm sort of like chasing awe and chasing wonder because it heightens my joy, you know? And I think that's what grace does for us. It gives us, when we truly understand it, at least as best as we can as humans, it gives us a greater sense of awe and wonder and amazement, which ultimately is joy. But it's not like awe and wonder and amazement and joy that's like here for a second and then gone. You know, once once we stop, once we're not at the Grand Canyon anymore, so our like our our awe is gone. You know, um, it's it's a it's a safe but consuming awe. So like, I mean, we'll talk about, I mean, the Australia thing, point break, you know, like it's, it's that, that wave that they're chasing because they need to get that wave, you know, whatever. And then the guy dies, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it, it's really a really old movie with Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, you should, you know, I don't know if you should watch it or not, but like, they're just chasing that, that high, you know, and in the end, you know. It's not like that. It's like that's that level of chasing, um, but it's right here chasing us instead. You know, I don't know. That's really philosophical, but I, I think that might get to the root of it. I think it does. And for me, like listening to what you were saying, what I love the most about it is it doesn't matter 
how much I stuff up or what I say or what I do, ultimately God still loves me. I'm still one of yeah. his children. And I love how nothing can separate us from the love of God because it was love that sent him down here in the first place. And it was love that kept him on the cross. It was love that ultimately made a way for us to be with him forever because he knew ultimately that we were going to mess up and we were messing up for hundreds, if not thousands of years, we've been messing up and we will continue to do that until Christ comes back again. And, you know, we live for all eternity, but I always say that I owe God everything. He owes me nothing. And yet he continues to give and he gives grace to the humble. He gives me strength every single day to get up and and do the things that I need to do. And God gives me everything that I need. It might not be exactly what I want in the moment, but it's everything (laughs) I need for my, my learning, my growth. And that includes the failure. I mean, he ultimately gives us free will and the ability to choose, which I think is ultimately a massive, massive crutch in of itself. (laughs) If you really (laughs) think about it. Um, but it's just a massive perspective shifter, man. When you realize that, Hey, there is someone out there that does love you despite what you've done or what you will do. Mm -hmm. And that that's like, that's life changing. Yeah. Well, and I'm convinced, you know, that if you don't find that in Jesus at the cross, then we're all damned. You know what I mean? Like, because the world is not really in the habit of extending grace to people who have messed up. No. You know, I mean, you just see it all the time. People say something stupid and then it's like, like our, our failure, our failures are carved into the concrete, you know, and our winds are sort of like drawn with fingers in the sand. Like it's, that's, I mean, that's the life that we're in. That's the world that we're in. So, you know, if it doesn't come from the cross and if it doesn't come from Jesus, then where are you going to get it? You know? And so um, that's part of the book too, is like, I, I wrote like a little mini chapter at the end um called canceling cancel culture because i just feel like man like ah if we keep canceling everybody for everything there's not going to be anybody left you know and uh and i just you know if we can learn to have more grace for each other and for ourselves recognizing like dude like every person if you're if you're a believer and you read the bible if you're not a believer and you read the bible like if you read the bible every single human in that book was jacked up other than jesus other than jesus he's the only one he's the only one who wasn't just a total idiot you know you got all these guys who are quote-unquote heroes and they're just messing up right and left just failure after failure after failure after failure. stuff that like i mean gosh if the internet was around like they would not have lived to tell the tale you know what i mean and, and so I'm I'm sort of grateful that I grew up in a non-internet age. You know, I grew up sort of right when the internet was coming out. You know, like I remember when we we had like a, a Commodore 64 huge computer, and you know we got like the you know, kind of dial-up internet that took 900 years to connect, and then like every web page took 10 minutes and 
But there was, I mean, you had chat rooms, but there was no social media. Like I had a MySpace and that was like, wow, you know? And then Facebook, like one of the beautiful things about Facebook is it gives me like a microscope on what a dummy I was 12 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever, you know? Cause it's like, you get to see on this day in 2007, you wrote this. And it's like, Stephen is eating a salad, you know? And that's like, literally, I mean, talk about the art of getting wrong. There was no thought put into it, but it was new and not, you know, but it, like everything, like everything is on the public record for all of eternity. And there's, it, it, when that becomes the case and people become holier than thou art, not necessarily just about, I mean, you don't have to be Christian to be holier than thou art. You can be holier than thou about politics or, you know, veganism or, I mean, whatever. Like that's just the natural, we, we want to feel good about ourselves. And a lot of times that means that it comes from putting others down to build us up, which is a terrible way to go about things. And it's not eventually like there's no one left to put down. You know what I mean? So I think part of the part of the book too is like sort of reclaiming our humanity, you know, and recognizing that like, hey, it's okay to be human. And that's not an excuse or a license to go be a dummy, you know. It's not an excuse or a license for me to go say something hateful or do something hateful or whatever. Um, because by no means, like, is that, I, I don't think that should be in our hearts, but, but the fact that I am a human means that I will do that. I will say something hateful. I will do something hateful. I will be selfish. I will be thoughtless. I will be careless. I will, I, I'll do all of those things as people tend to do, you know? And so what's my response after, after that happens, you know? And when people do that to me, what's my response after that happens because we want to live by the same standard that you know we want people to treat us the way that we want to treat them right so that's really a lot of the, the hope of the book too it's like and hopefully there's just the beauty of reclaiming our humanity and recognizing that like you know it's going to be okay if if we mess up or someone messes up against us like the world isn't going to end you know the sun's still going to rise tomorrow and like in the end, I'll probably get more out of this than, um, than I lost, you know, if I'm, if I look at it the right way and shift my perspective a little more. I think that we have a term called cancel culture to begin with is just yeah. honestly, it's insane. And yeah. I never thought growing up that I would eventually live in a world where people are trying to cancel another person based on what they've said or even what they've done. It just, what happened to freedom of speech and, and your right. decision-making and, and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it just, it needs to stop because like you said, there'll be no one left to cancel. The cancelers right. cancel themselves because they don't agree right. with the things that they're actually talking about, which just makes me laugh. <laughs> entirely yeah but it's just crazy world it really is yeah. but yeah I, I like how you also mentioned it doesn't give you license or an excuse to go out there right and do everything wrong because you know i'm 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 human i'm flawed i'm gonna make mistakes but yes the mistakes will come and it's ultimately like what you were saying it's how you react to them it's like what's your response and i think there's a lot of people that I listen to, they're saying we need more empathy, we need more kindness, and we need a lot of love 
in society as a whole. And they and they're the ones that are getting cancelled too, because it's like, no, 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 you're wrong. We don't need that. It's and that just surprises me, or not really surprised me. It just it boggles my mind, man. It really does. <laughs> I mean, it is surprising. I feel like it is surprising because if I it's the anonymity of it, I feel that that really gives people license to do that. Because if I know you mm. and do you have kids? Are you married? No. Do you have kids? Anything like that? Okay. Not, well, that, I do. not that I know of. If somebody, if you know me, you know, and you genuinely actually care about people, uh, you're not going to, like, if you mess with that, you're messing with seven kids who are going to starve. You're messing with, I mean, you, you know, like you just never do that kind of thing yeah. with, yeah. Uh, I think I'm a, you, you would never do that kind of thing to someone you actually know. Hmm. Your friend, yeah. I think my, I think my earbud just died. One sec. I'll try that. Talk again, real quick. How's that? No, hang on a second. I don't know what's going on. Why did I do that? Why did you do that? Technology, man. It's going up against. Yeah. It's trying to cancel this conversation. It's like I hear it's the listening. big brother who's listening in is like, no, we're not talking about that. You're canceled. You're getting on our nerve. So right. Exactly. So funny, man. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, it, it just comes down to, you know, I, for a while I was very involved in in trying to um, help we lived in St. Louis, which is a very racially divided city. And we wanted to be people of peace in St. Louis uh, to help sort of bridge the gap a little bit, which obviously I'm a white guy, so I can only do so much. But a lot of what that looked like was like listening, you know, having coffee with people, having lunch with people, having breakfast with people, going out having a, a bourbon or whatever. Like, you know, is uh, St. Louis, Missouri's Budweiser, you know, city. So go go have a beer. There's just like more microbreweries in in St. Louis than I think anywhere else and maybe the world. I don't know. But it's a lot of like relational, you know, and a lot of what came down to it was just ignorance. Like there are things that I didn't understand that I'm asking questions and you're giving permission and it's a safe place and and giving a platform and saying, hey, like tell me like where are we missing it and huge groups of people getting together and asking where are we missing it and and it's done in mutual respect and it's done with empathy and it's done with compassion and it and it i mean i don't know how much it it, it like i i can't calculate what a huge impact that that makes when you're willing to just sit down with people and say hey you know you said this and it kind of hit me wrong so like, let's go have some coffee and talk about it. So I can kind of figure out where you're coming from and you can figure out where I'm coming from and why that would hurt me, you know? And, and maybe I realized upon hearing why that felt such a wrong way to you. Yeah, I was definitely in the wrong for that. You know, something that maybe didn't even make sense to me and that I didn't think through all the ramifications, like, you know, and then they'll see, oh yeah, your motive wasn't what I initially thought it would be. So there's a lot of being a peacemaker that, that comes along with this as well. It's like, you got to have a relationship with people if you're going to have peace. And the problem is uh, a lot of the, relational peace doesn't sell. You know what I mean? 
like it, it does there's no outrage there to fuel the flame and get the engagement or whatever it's just sort of done like behind closed doors and 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 then the world's a more beautiful better place you know and you don't get the the pat on the back or the high five or the the rallies or the whatever you know what i mean like it's just done and so i think that's a huge part of our family too is like we don't stand on these soapboxes like i don't talk about stuff like you know a lot of people will message us and be like you need to talk about this more you need to talk about better and i'm like dude like we're gonna show you know like we're just gonna try as best as we can to be an example of what it looks like to love respect honor believe the best about people um have and if we need to have those conversations with people we're gonna do that in private you know i'm connected enough at this point like if somebody says something, I can probably get an audience with them and like, hey, tell me what you mean by that. You know what I mean? Rather than like, oh, I need to go to Twitter and be a butt. You know, <laughs> like I just don't see the point of that. You know, there's a line, um, John, John Mayer's Continuum album, I would contest is the greatest album of all time. Uh, many people would maybe fight me on that, but uh, I just think it is lyrically everything about it. And uh there, there's a song called belief and it says um is there anyone uh who's ever changed their mind from the paint on a sign you know is there anyone who ever uh, is there anyone you can recall has ever breaking uh broken whatever their thought was over something someone yelled real loud one time you know like that's not how it works like we listen to each other better when we're doing it in a respectful manner we're doing it in a way that assumes the best about them first you know what i mean and that's part of our humanity that's what i mean by coming back to the humanity it's like if i'm starting at a starting point of yeah you probably didn't they probably didn't mean something by that they're probably not trying to be disruptive they're probably not trying to do you know if that's my starting point is like believing the best i feel like that's a little more productive you know than like going guns blazing into something. I think these days- I know that if I do something, it's never, I mean, there are people who are naturally poor, ill-intended, you know, but I think that's the exception to the rule. Like for me, that's the exception to the rule. I'm almost never gonna be the guy who intentionally says something inflammatory or does something whatever, you know what I mean? So when someone comes to me and already, already believes the best, just putting it in that perspective, like, I'm going to respond a lot better to that than someone coming waving their finger at me and and accusing me of stuff. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. I think those people as well, like that love the confrontation in person, those come few and far between. It's because we can't right. actually have that physical connection, which right. is what cancel culture, I, I, I believe, is ultimately really canceling yeah. is the connection between people. And mm -hmm. Because part of that connection is having an opinion. Part of that connection mm -hmm. is understanding that we are all human. We, we have our beliefs. We have our ways of doing things. And that's where ultimately the conversation and the ability to ask questions and curiosity, but they're trying to get rid of all of that. And I don't think it's right because part of being human, part of being alive is the ability to be curious, to ask questions all the time to have conversations, to have disagreements, 
like that is ultimately that's fun. Like that, that yeah. is the joy of life. Like if you don't have yeah. that, you've got literally nothing. <laughs> right. You're just walking around aimlessly. I mean, I, I, I truly believe but you, people these days as well, they're easily offended and they get offended online and they don't want to continue that conversation because they're offended because they don't want to forgive because forgiveness is hard work. How can I forgive that person for saying this? How can I actually speak to them properly and hear their side of the story and why they said it to begin with? No, it's just I'll cut them off completely. I mean, that's a conscious choice to do that. That's not a mistake. That you've chosen to do it. And I think that if we were all to just come together and just say, look, Let's ask questions here. Let's listen intently, properly, not trying to force your opinion onto them, but do it as Christ said, do it in love, do it with empathy, I guess, is what I'm yeah. trying to say as well. Yeah. That's yeah, my I think take. the world will be a lot better place. <laughs> I think so too. And I guess we can, we can hope ultimately that, things do get better. And I mean, people like yourself, Stephen, that put out this kind of content and have conversations with people like myself. I mean, the, the, the beauty of this is we probably don't agree on everything under the sun, but we can still be respectful. We can still be honoring and we can still have a genuine, authentic and vulnerable conversation with each other, which I think needs to happen a lot more of with other people. Yeah. So that's my take on it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I totally agree. I think, you know, and, and you do see that happening in the podcast world a little more. I mean, I think that's sort of gone in a lot of media, you know, unfortunately, I, and I don't know if that's because of ratings or numbers or money or sponsors or what I, I have no clue. Um, but in the podcasting world, you know, there are a lot of guys that are stepping up and doing that. And and so, I mean, I think it's just, you know, I looked at your, like who you've interviewed and I'm just like blown away because that, that, there's a lot of differing viewpoints and worldviews and perspectives that you represent just in your podcast alone, you know? And so getting to, to do that where everyone has common ground, you know, um, I just feel like that's so honoring of, uh, of just trusting the, it goes back to believing the best in people. It's like, you can trust people with the information to, to like filter through their worldview, but you know, you, you don't have to get offended at everything. Like you can, you can represent uh, a, a point of view without having to necessarily say, like if I came out and said some stuff that you didn't agree with, you're not endorsing me for that just by having me on your show. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's something beautiful about that because that's how real life is. When you go to work, you have coworkers who don't agree with you on stuff. When you go home for Thanksgiving, you have family members who don't agree with you on everything. My, I mean, really have, at least in my world, like there are family members that I'm like, wow, this is going to be really interesting if I engage this conversation right now, you know? But at the end of the day, they're your family. Like you love them and you're going to listen and you're going to be respectful and honoring. And I just feel like, dude, like, 
people have got to learn that art, you know? And I do think it comes back to the humility piece that if you can start to see, you know, all the ways that you've messed it up, whether that's in your words and your actions and your thoughts in your procrastination and you're taking shortcuts and you're trying to get around the system and you're whatever. I mean, th there's a billion, I mean, infinite ways that you can mess up in any given day. And when you start to have a sober minded look at yourself with that, man, it, it really, I mean, I just really think it will shape the way you see everybody else in a much healthier light. Mm. I mean, I've got family members like that too. And I've got a very small family. Um, yeah. And I was recently having a conversation with someone in my family that was went on, on the offensive. And yeah. I just said, look, you have your belief system. I have mine. We're going to get absolutely nowhere if you're constantly trying to attack. And right. what is it? I asked him the question. I'm like, what is it to you? that I believe this, does it hurt you in any way, shape or form? And That's I think right. his response to that was trying to twist it in a way. And I just said, look, I love you because you're in my family and I always will, but I need you to understand or try to understand this is my choice to believe this and live this way. Right. And if you can accept that, we're going to be yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the other side of the coin too, is that approaching life from this perspective doesn't mean that you're a doormat or that you can't have boundaries or you, you know what I mean? Like you need that, like that's healthy. That's right. It's good. Um, but, you know, I, I do think sometimes we, you know, we use those things as excuses, you know, and, and even get upset uh, mm. when people, are trying to believe the best. You know what I mean? Like I got a comment on my Instagram yesterday that made me laugh a little bit because it was me with my, my sons, you know, and I've got two, two kids from Africa, from Ethiopia and one son from China. And the guy was like, look at you. You're so, you know, compassionate and diverse. And I mean, he was being real sarcastic and I was like, you know, yeah, man, Thanks. I'm I appreciate right. that. You know, I appreciate that. Like I knew, I knew he wasn't being serious, you know, but it's like, dude, why would you get offended at that? Why would you feel the need to, to write? You know what I mean? And so a boundary for me is that usually whenever those kinds of things come in, I just don't engage it because it just, you know, it's not worth it. Like I'm not going to win somebody over in a comment. I'm not probably going to make them realize, Oh, wow. I've been so unkind, you know, whatever. Um, and then just from my own standpoint, like I'm never going to leave a comment like that. So those are boundaries that are, are real. And, you know, we, we manage our comments pretty, uh, pretty aggressively, not, not in like a bad way, but like we're a family channel, you know, we're a fam we're family content. My kids read our comments. Like, so, you know, we block a lot of words, uh, you know, just because, Dude, for me, it's just so much easier to, to, well, A, there's a lot of bots and a lot of trolls that are just gonna, and I'm like, man, I don't have time for that. Like there's too much beautiful life out there to live. And um, so, and then from time to time, someone will send a DM 
So um, it's not that we're afraid of, uh, we're not afraid of controversy or, or we're not afraid of like confrontation. You know, if we need to have a conversation with people, we are, but I just, I want it to be, I want to bring as much humanity into it as I can. You know what I mean? So we, we just, we, we keep it on our turf as much as we can because we are, we do have young kids in our crew, you know what I mean? And so, um, I find that that really does increase our quality of life, you know, rather than having to always worry about this and that, like that someone's saying or bringing or whatever, um, we're, we're able to just kind of focus on what we're doing and keep being who we are, which I think is good. So, you know, it's not, it's a different type of boundary than the going to, you know, Thanksgiving, but it's similar to like, if you're going to Thanksgiving and ahead of time, you send out a text and just say, Hey guys, we're not going to talk about politics this year, you know, or whatever, like, and then people, generally kind of abide by that whenever you get there, you know? Um, and, and then you can have a nice, hopefully like stress-free Thanksgiving. I don't know. Do you, what do you, do you guys have Thanksgiving in Australia? You don't know, but what do you, I mean, it's, I know it's like not the pilgrims and whatever, but like, do, what do you have that's sort of similar to that? That's not just like Christmas dinner. You could, I could say Christmas, you know. That instead. pretty much goes on during Christmas lunch or used okay. to, but okay. nowadays, because yeah. it's pretty much just my family. So I got yeah. a very, very small family, man. Right. So yeah. I guess that's the benefit of not having to, to go out to someone else's house, have a massive big bash, and then Right. As long as political conversation the entire time, it's <laughs> yeah, right. family, and most of us agree on the same thing anyway. So we're all yeah. Yeah. We, we just we just bag out the the other side of things. <laughs> that, um, we we, sh- we shouldn't speak bad, I know, but that's kind of our equivalent to yeah. Thanksgiving. I love it, man. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we um we have a huge, I mean, obviously we have a huge family, but then, you know, my mom and dad sort of split up when I was a kid, uh, Amanda's family is all together, but she has three sisters. And so they kind of all have their thing and, and, uh, and then they're very close. So when we get together with our families, it's like huge. I mean, it's just, huge. like when our family goes anywhere, it's huge, you know? So then when you invite the rest in, we did Christmas, we went skiing, uh, in uh, Utah this year. And there were, I think there were like 21 people or 22 people or something skiing in, uh, in Utah. And it was so fun, you know, and, and we just all kind of said ahead of time and we usually, I mean, we get along really well. Um, but we just said ahead of time, like, you know, let's just like, keep it like super chill this year. And, and everyone did, you know, it was great. <laughs> Amazing so. when, when the family are actually all, you know, civil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, Their family really is, you know, they really are. But I, I'm just trying to draw like those sort of parallels of like what life could be like online. Mm. If we just sort of treated each other like people you're having Thanksgiving lunch with, you know, like, we're all human. So let's just start treating each other like it, you know? Once again, an important point. I mean, we can continue talking about this, I'm sure for hours, 
just yeah. we're probably gonna have to get a coffee or something. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. And just keep it going, man. But I've got a couple more questions for you because I do want to be respectful and let you get back to your kids because I know they're yeah. probably waiting. Like, where's daddy? He's been gone for ages. <laughs> um, but they're having a blast outside, actually. We, we're living in an RV right now. I don't know if I mentioned that, but we're trying to build a house. We moved into an RV for what we thought was going to be three months, four months, and it's looking like it's going to be a year, which is crazy. But that just means lots of outdoor time, and it's a beautiful time of year for that. And the kids get home and they go play basketball with the neighbors and football and all kinds of fun stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm actually in our living room right now, which is. I was going to ask, man. I was like, you look like you're in an RV. I think in an RV. Yeah, that's what we are. Cool, so. man. Honestly, that, if that's an RV, I've got to get me one of them. It's pretty <laughs> sweet. It is It is pretty. Well, we have nine people living in it. We're Well, now it's eight because we moved our oldest out. But uh, it's, you needed to get something that could fit a lot of people. So we did. What was it like becoming a dad at 20 years old, man? Like I'm 25 and I yeah. can't imagine myself as a dad. Yeah. You know, um, it's babies raising babies, you know, and I I talk a lot about the fact that like, you're really not ready. You're never ready. You know, you're never going to be ready. Like you get ready, you become ready when you're doing it, you know, and that's that way with like all of life kind of, you know, like you're not ready to get married until you just do it. And then like you become ready as you're you know, you know what I mean? You're not ready to like take that other job that maybe you don't feel completely prepared for or start that company that maybe you don't feel completely prepared to do. Or, you know, for us, like starting YouTube, you know, like we didn't feel ready for that. You know, we didn't know how to make videos and yet here we are. And that's what we do for a living. So I think, uh, as a 20 year old, like, man, yeah, I, I was such a knucklehead and I still am a knucklehead, you know, but um, my wife's incredible, you know, she just really is. And she, and she really led in so many ways with such compassion and such, and her family was amazing. Like her, her parents were so supportive. Um, my family was so supportive. I know that's not the case for everybody, you know, but in our case, it was like our, our, our family, I was still managing a pizza shop, making nothing, you know? So we were really poor, uh, early on. Uh, and that was maybe the hardest part, you know, like I think we had a hundred dollar a month grocery budget. So we were eating like shoulder steak and there's like $2 shoulder steak and a can of green beans for dinner every night. And, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and then, you know, we were living in a little bitty apartment and, you know, so a lot of that is just like, I, I don't, I, I really don't know any different. Like I, I sort of started out life on my own as a dad, you know? So I don't have anything to really compare it to. Like, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, wait to have kids until later on in life because uh, you have so much living to do and so much learning who you are and so much adventuring that you could be doing or whatever. Well, like I learned who I am in a different way, but I still learned who I am. And maybe it took me a while to get to where I am today the, the guy I am today, but like, I've been like 45 different people just since I had our firstborn 20 years ago. So like, you're, you're not, you don't really, that's a sort of feels like a flawed argument to me. It's like, you know, you're not going to know who you are before you get married and you're not going to know who you are before you become a parent. Like you, 
become who you are. You're always becoming who you are. You know, you're not going to stop having adventures just because you have kids. Like we, we've never known anything different, but like people would look at our life and say, these guys are like adventurers, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, like we, we like to do stuff and we like to do stuff together and we've seen the world. And I never, I mean, I never saw the world growing up. Like, I think I went on a Mexico mission trip in fifth grade and that's like the extent of traveling I ever did anywhere. Um, you know, that was it. And like, we've done a lot, like, and our kids have gotten to be a part of that, you know, which I think is cool that, uh, starting out with that hunger and thirst and desire while having kids means that they get to experience all that with you in a lot of ways, you know, which is really cool. I mean, that's, I think a unique, a unique thing. Um, and, and it, I get the added benefit now that I've got five, five teenagers, you know, uh, I joke that if I hadn't already had my midlife crisis, I would sure be having one now. Um, but like, I get the added benefit that like now on this side of it all, I get to rediscover my wife in ways that, you know, maybe we didn't get the same kind of thing when we were first starting out. Cause we already had young kids, but now we're like in sort of that stage of life where we're we're re falling in love and we're re getting to sort of recommit. And it's, and it sort of feels like a new beginning and a new birth to our marriage. And like, a, you know, like I'm, I'm getting to know her in all new ways, you know, which I think is maybe part of the, the, the life cycle of a marriage anyway, but like, I don't feel like I missed out on anything having kids really young. I feel like it really enhanced my life in ways that I maybe really would have missed out on had I not. And that's not to say that that's for everybody, you know, like different people are different levels. I'm just saying like, I, I certainly wasn't ready to be a dad at 20, but I, you know, God really made me ready and continues to, because I'm not ready to be a dad at 38, you know, <laughs> like, like I, I'm still a goober, you know, and still a knucklehead and mess up. So um, it's a day by day, like, I'm so, so grateful that God has entrusted me with these amazing kids because I certainly don't deserve it, you know? So, um, I don't know. I think it's all perspective and it definitely gives you a drive to make sure you're keeping your crap together, you know, because then when there are little people at home needing you to not be an idiot, you know, that helps, you know? Uh, it's, it's accountability and it's motivation. And, and it's, um, that said, you know, I, I was, I, I talked about it a little bit earlier. I was a workaholic, like crazy, like hours and just chasing after that dream, chasing after what I thought success would look like. And I missed some things too, you know, that I'm grateful that now I haven't fully lost that chance. Like I've still got kids at home and I still get to be a part of their life and I still get to you know what I mean? But like, I get to do it now in the, in the afterglow of running really, really hard for a long time. So it's almost like, I don't know that I regret having done all that because it sort of created the life that we have now, but I like, I'm, I'm, I'm learning from that to sort of course correct in this season now, if that makes sense. 
you're not going to be a perfect dad. I don't think that's right. ever on the cards. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah, for me and, and my stage of life that I'm at now, I, I know that I personally am not ready to be a dad. Um, that being said, I'm not against being a dad later on. I want to be yeah. a dad later yeah. on, but to find a woman first and marry her. That's well, helpful. That's, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is definitely, that is on, on the cards eventually. Um, but yeah, I think I'm in the, the workaholic stage yeah. at the moment because I just started this and I'm like, well, I want to keep building it. I want to see where it goes. And I think it'd be selfish of me to, yeah, give it up and, and, yeah, lots of lots of things and, and questions sure. yeah. and, and different stages of life. But I like how you mentioned that you're never really ready. It's yeah. just it's like thrust upon you, learn quickly. And yeah. Yeah. But yeah. it's all good to Yeah. You know, you don't know. Tomorrow you might meet the one, you know? Yeah. Hey, the one may be listening to this podcast right now. I hope and she is. Send me a little Instagram <laughs> message today. Like, dude, send me. You know, I've been looking for you. Slide <laughs> into the DMs, you know, yeah, just casually. Like, you never know. <laughs> and, and like, you may not be ready, but like, you'll sure as heck get ready. You know what I mean? Like, you'll yeah. know, you'll get ready. And, you, and, you, and it's the same. It's the same with everything in life. You knew you weren't ready probably to. I mean, I don't know. Did you, when you started this podcast, were you like, yes, I'm ready. Like, I'm going to get McConaughey. I'm going to get Tony Robbins. I'm going to get, you know, rich dad, poor dad. I'm going to get all these guys on and it's going to be amazing. You know, like you probably had like a, a thought, like this could be really cool, you know, and then you went for it. And I think that's how most of life goes. Like you can be a certain level of ready, but there's no guarantees that it's going to go well. And that doesn't mean don't do it. It might mean do it anyway, you know, because it might go well, you know, it might actually work out, which is kind of cool. I think it's exciting. If you, if you put it like that, it is very, very exciting. But yeah. I think my mind, what it does is it overanalyzes things and over yeah. puts things into gigantic perspective mm -hmm. rather than just focusing on the here and now moment, which I know and I preach on it more, more times than I care to admit. And I've got to start living it more, but I, I'm, like I said, I'm human. I need yeah. reminding. So thank you, Stephen, for reminding me. I yeah, appreciate man. it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and future wife, if you are listening to this, don't, don't be afraid to reach out. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I, I wouldn't say no, if you're the one. So there we go. Um, <laughs> there you go. But Stephen, man, like I really do appreciate your time. I know we could continue going on and on and on, which I would love to have you back on guaranteed in, in the near future. You kind of remind me of Paul Rudd, to be honest. Dude, yeah. I get it sometimes. That's funny. Okay. Yeah. Your your mannerisms, the way you talk, the way you look too. So 100%, you're, you're Paul Rudd. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Paul, I'll yeah. take it. It's a guy that never ages, you know? A hundred percent. I don't know how they do it, but anyway, um, <laughs> where do you want people to get a copy of your new book, man, before I ask you the final two yeah. questions? Yeah, they can go to the art of getting it wrong.com. Um, it's everywhere. I mean, if you, if you're shopping at, uh, I don't know, do you have Barnes and Nobles over there? Barnes and no, Nobles? we have Dimmicks, which is, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I think it's pretty much just everywhere. Like it's on Amazon. It's on, you know, I, I think it's pretty much everywhere. Uh, my publisher says that it's everywhere. Uh, and Audible, the whole deal. We just recorded the audiobook last or two weeks ago. I did it with my wife. We did some like special featurey type stuff in there in oh. between chapters, which is really fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't care where you get it. Just get it. Cause like I've got seven kids and they need to eat. So other than that, you know, <laughs> you can, uh, I've got links on our social media, um, at Stephen Miller with a pH and at the Miller fam that's on Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter, TikTok, all that stuff. We're, we're all there. So. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure everyone knows where to get a copy and definitely support Stephen, his family of seven kids. He's right. They do need to eat. <laughs> so you'll be doing him a huge favor. But Stephen, man, I can't wait to get my hands on, on my own personal copy and read it and share it with everyone. I feel like our story and what we've experienced is very similar in a lot of different ways. Um, but yeah, can't wait to, to share with my audience and this conversation too. But this is, uh, my, well, it's a question I love asking people at the end to, or towards the end, but what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Mm. And that's tough. Um, I think I love the most about my story that it's not over yet. Mm. Um, cause I think as long as it's, over you know i can't do anything about it you know but if i even even if like today is a total mess up of a day you know there's always tomorrow you know there's always the next day there's always and uh and i guess that probably leads me to the thing i like most about myself which is my indomitable hope that makes sense. Like, because if I didn't have that, I think the, the fact that my story's not over might be like kind of crushing, you know what I mean? But the fact that I, I just like, I can't stop like hoping that tomorrow will be better than today and working toward that end, if that makes sense. So, um, I, like some people call that optimism, but back, you know, at, at the end of the day, like optimism is not really helpful if it's not based and grounded in hope. You know what I mean? Because otherwise it's just like, ah, I see skies of blue and clouds of white, you know, like it just doesn't, it doesn't really do much for me in the end. Uh, but when there's a hope, that's a living hope. And as a believer, I have a living hope and I'm like clinging to that because it's clinging to me. Then tomorrow's a good day. You know, tomorrow has infinite, infinite possibilities, whether it's a good day or not, like it's not the end. You know what I mean? And then, and even if it is the last day, like on earth, like there's eternity after, you know what I mean? So um, I think the joy that comes from hope filled optimism um, is probably my favorite thing about me. If that makes sense. It's like buddy, the elf, I like smiling, smiling is my favorite, you know, that's, that's probably it. Um, and, and, and my favorite thing about my story is that it's not over. Like there's a lot of beautiful moments that I'm super proud of. And a lot of, like, I love our family and that I get to be a part of that. Like, those are all amazing. Um, but like, there's so many more days of that ahead. Yeah. You know what I mean? And even if there are, even if there are a lot of valleys and there are, 
a lot of valleys, like that's not, that's not the end either, you know? So I know that's a really uh, philosophical answer for you on that. And I probably could have just said, I'm a happy guy, you know, and you'd be like, okay, cool answer. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're tempting me to go down another rabbit hole with you, another philosophical area, <laughs> but um, <laughs> definitely going to have you back on again, man. I think we're going to continue this conversation even more, but this is it. my all time favorite question. I love asking this one at the very end of my conversations. It's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Oh my gosh. Oh man. That, that will be an extremely embarrassing video if, if they <laughs> were able to show all that. Um, man, I think what, what I would want it to say and show in my life is that I wasn't, I mean, I would, I was the furthest thing from perfect because I am, you know, uh, but I was consistent and faithful, you know, and, and I define faithfulness in that, like, you know, David wasn't necessarily faithful in the Bible, but it was his repentance, you know, as that, that defined his heart after God's heart. You know what I mean? And I would hope that at the end of my life, uh, that people would say, man, that was a guy who was faithful to his family, to his, to his, to his wife, to his kids, to his God, and really just loved people well, you know. Um, that's what I would. That's what I would hope. I would hope that it would be, man. When I was around Stephen, like I walked away feeling better about me and about my circumstances. Um, that's what I mean. That's what I hope my life is marked by. You know, there. I I tell this story in the book. Um, and I'm, I try not to tell, give a lot of this away, but I think that's really helpful in this situation. My wife and I were uh, in Utah last year for our anniversary. And um, man, it was like, we were starving. We just hiked the Narrows and, and we got to our place and there's nowhere to eat nearby. And there was this one place and it was like this restaurant in the country club. And I ordered the food and it, it had been out, you know, an hour and a half at that point, still not ready. And this two, these two like old couples like in their you know late 80s early 90s walk in dress of the nines and i think they're probably on like their anniversary or something like that and uh and they're i mean they were on their anniversary like dinner like i guess they got married on the same day or something and they're like hey reservation for four and the girl looks up and goes that's next week and she, and the guy goes no honey it's today and hands her the card and, uh, and it's like their reservation card. That's the, you know, that's the day. And, uh, and she's like, Oh no, I wrote it down the wrong time. Like, I'm so sorry. We actually closed for a wedding. We can't do this, you know? And she looks like she's just about to like break down bawling. Like she's like her life is over, you know, kind of thing. And the, the guy, he's got like a bowler hat on. Like he just looks like a total stud. He walks over and goes, sweetie you can only play the hand you're dealt 
And today's just not in the cards for us. So we'll see you next week. And just like walks, they turn around, he puts his arm out, his wife takes his arm and they walk out with so much style and so much class and just amazed. Like I, I was blown away because I was so frustrated that I hadn't gotten my food and like they were ignoring me. And, you know, I'm just like, they like, I'm so hungry. And, uh, and just to watch this happen, they probably spent, you know, a month planning this night and gone out and bought their clothes and just all this stuff. And for them to have handled it with so much style and class and grace and compassion, I was just like, Oh, and I called my wife and I said, babe. And I told her the story. I was like, that's what I want to be like when I, when, when I'm old, I want us to be like that when we're old. And she said, yeah, uh, we should probably start doing that now then if we want to be that way when we're old. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, this is the wisdom of my wife. Like she's so wise. And, uh, and like, yeah. So at the end of the day, whenever it's, you know, I'm a hundred years old and they're putting together, like, I hope that I'm the man I'm becoming anyway now that kind of guy that whenever that film is showing, like people are like, yeah, when, it, when I walked away or he walked away, I felt better about myself. I felt better about who God is. I felt better about life um, because he just had this indomitable hope and joy. And um, that's what I hope. And yeah, again, long, long answer, but uh I got to be that guy now if I'm going to be that guy then, you know? That, that is literally the perfect way to wrap up this conversation with a story <laughs> like that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> Thanks for asking that, the good questions, man. That realization and that wisdom too. My goodness, why wait till you're older to start doing the things that you need to do right now? Yep. Oh, that's... <laughs> I almost don't want to end this conversation now. Damn it. Far out. <laughs> but Stephen, man, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your advice, your stories, and for just joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom. And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.